0: hey everybody welcome to the pillar podcast the podcast that brings you great catholic conversation each week i'm your host and pillar editor-in-chief jd flynn and i am joined by my pillar podcasting partner ed condon
1: did you enjoy that alliteration
0: i did i did i was i was trying i was thinking about calling you a pundit after that but you would be deeply offended if i referred to you as a pundit um, you are a professor, and you you have an you have an, an adjunct appointment as a, as a professor of canon law in a Catholic university. So I could have said my pillar podcasting partner, Professor Ed Condon, but then I would have wanted a fifth, and I didn't have a fifth, so I just I stopped there.
1: That's fair, and also I frown on I, I frown on the use of the professorial title unless you have tenure.
0: <laughs> Good enough, but you know in in some in some parts of the world, um, the dignity of professor is extended to a person of like scholarly or cultural importance, even if they are not in fact a university professor in any meaningful way whatsoever. Like you might, a person who's a prolific author or something like that might be referred to as professor just kind of to recognize that they are, that they're they, they teach in a cultural sense.
1: It sounds like the sort of thing the French would do.
0: Well, I was actually not thinking of France. I, I feel like I have experienced that in other places, but it may well be something the French would do.
1: They, they like to hand themselves out titles.
0: Fair. Ed, what's new with you?
1: Uh, Not a lot. The weather's turned to DC, which is nice. Um, you know, we have, it, there's no longer, you know, sheets of ice freezing my grill shut and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Uh, no, otherwise, I, I think slow grind. We've been, we've been both doing some, some slower burn, longer form stuff that's going on in the background, which, you know, it's important spade work that we're getting on with. I'm in a I'm in a frustrating point in a particular Vatican finance investigation right now where I I know the information I want is out there mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. just haven't been able to find it yet so yeah. it's you know it's it's not so much finding a needle in a haystack as knowing there is a needle in a haystack in a field of haystacks and the haystacks are all in Italian um but I I am looking for it and I and I will find
0: it and when I find it my I'm gonna get them um but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm glad you are. I am uh, as as are you working on a number of kind of longer things right now and uh and I'm not in a frustrating place with any of them so much as I just like I'm at I'm at like three quarters done with a number of them and then just having trouble getting the last last things to come in and things like that. So it's been I've been a little bit and then and then when I get to that point, you know, sometimes I get like three quarters of the way done with something and then like it just like I it just the hardest part is getting it over the getting it over the line. Yeah. As it were. Yeah, that yeah. is I, I feel your pain. Good. I'm glad.
1: What about Mrs. Condon? What's new with Mrs. Condon? Ah, uh, nothing. She's uh, she's feeling, you know, bored with pandemic life as we all are. Uh, we're 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 still trying to observe the sort of you know bubble lifestyle, mm-hmm. and I think she's pretty fed up with my company at this point. But, <laughs> I mean that that could just be more than a decade of marriage.
0: Right? No, I definitely know. I know the feeling, Mrs. Flynn is probably feeling the same thing—not fed up with your company, but with with mine. But I, I enjoy Mrs. Flynn's company, and um, and if you're listening, I enjoy your company, my dear. My my wife is definitely not listening. <laughs> I no, I don't know why I said that, Mrs. Flynn. It's not, not listening to the show. But Ed, anyhow, I just wanted to see what was new with you and uh, Mrs. Condon, and I'm glad that glad that you're well, and uh, and uh, and that your work is going well, and that your family life is going well. Even if Mrs. Condon is growing a little bit frustrated with you, but still, uh, what I would like to hear about, I suppose, before we move into the depth of our conversation today, is that, at the very least how your Lent is going.
1: Uh, Lent is I'm doing all right with Lent. Uh, I'm. I'm more or less keeping up with the, with the sort of extra prayer regimen that I had set for myself. Uh, the fasting is, yeah, I, I'm, I, am, I am fasting from the things that I uh, set out to fast from. And uh, it is always helpful for me to remember that it is a very small offering. Uh, it is a very small offering to to unify oneself with the lord and but it's always instructive for me to realize exactly how much i am otherwise a creature of naked appetite and reflex which you know i do, i don't tend to notice i i like to think of myself as a man of spartan habits and the truth is that if i if i make a conscious decision not to not to indulge in certain things that uh, i i don't know if i suddenly crave them more because i have a perverted nature that way or if i i Turns out I've been having them all the time, and I'm just now noticing. I don't know which way around it is, but it's you know, it, Lent has been all right.
0: Well, there you have it. It's it's yeah, it is the prohibition in a certain way, or the sacrificial nature of things. I find sometimes that if I tell myself a rule, like if I say um, you don't have that, like for years and years and years and years and years, I never ate fast food. I just told myself, oh, you don't eat fast food, and then I had in my mind like well, you don't eat fast food. But if I, you know, and so if— wait a minute. You don't eat fast food? No, I, well, I, I've amended it, right? So now I eat Chick-fil-A oh, okay. because we sometimes get Chick-fil-A for the kids, and it's like, well, what am I going to get? But but now I say to myself, you don't eat fast food except for Chick-fil-A, but I don't otherwise really eat fast food. Um, but if I were sort of not in that vein, if I, if I didn't have a sort of steady rule, you're looking at me like you don't believe me. Only
1: because so many more—well, because, again, you're two hours behind me, so when we have a sort of morning catch-up call— which we have done more or less every morning for the last three years. Uh, it's early in the morning for you. You're usually on your way to work, and I've already been at work uh-huh, for some uh-huh, time. Uh-huh. But I would say that somewhere approaching 40 to 48% of those phone calls have been set in a place that does good breakfast burritos near your
0: right, home. Right, but getting a breakfast burrito from a mom-and-pop Mexican restaurant is not the same as getting fast food, right? I mean, fast food comes from, <laughs> I fast see. Food comes so, from a global multinational corporation with franchises. I see. All Your over objections are economic, so not. My uh, objections okay. are, are, are legion, but. Um, but supporting the local economy, especially in this moment of national difficulty, is really, I think, an act of virtue. And I'm surprised. No, to I,
1: don't be wrong. I mean, I've I've often praised you for making <laughs> sure that you have breakfast. I I have a very unhealthy breakfast regimen, so I, I I say this with with approval that which you, is
0: to say that you mean, don't have breakfast.
1: Well, I coffee and cigarettes. Yeah. See, I mean,
0: this is the interesting thing about me is that your version of an un, of unhealthy eating is that you almost never eat, and my version of unhealthy eating is that I eat a lot. And, uh, and so neither of us, I suppose, have yet struck the via media.
1: No, I- I'm unlikely to. Nor uh, am I.
0: <laughs> oh, well, nor am I. Okay, listen, we've got to start talking about stuff. Okay. Um, and over the weekend, uh, on it was on Saturday, in fact, uh, the Holy See announced the retirement of uh, the uh, prefect, now former prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of Sacraments, Cardinal Robert Surrah. Cardinal Serra a uh, native of, um, I want to say this right, Guinea, I suppose, or Guinea. How, how do you say the name of Cardinal Serraza Nation? I've just said Guinea. Guinea? I, I, mean, I, I... I, presu- I presume that's okay, but to be honest, I wasn't sure. Um, at any rate announced uh, the resignation of Cardinal Robert Serra, formerly the prefect of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Sacraments, which is essentially the Vatican office that oversees the liturgical life of the church, that oversees kind of translations of liturgy into different languages, questions about liturgical discipline, and questions about the valid celebration of most sacraments, or at least the valid sort of liturgical elements of most sacraments. And uh, and Cardinal Surrah uh, was appointed to that position in 2014 by Pope Francis. Before that, he was the president of the Pontifical Council Cor Unum, which at that time was an office of the Vatican that was sort of charged with um, doing the charitable or overseeing sort of the charitable work or the charitable grant making of the Holy See. So giving grants to initiatives and apostolates of the Church in, in various parts of the world. And before that, Cardinal Seurat was uh, the secretary of. The uh, what's now called the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples, which used to be called Propaganda Fide Fide, or um, the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith. And the the Prop Fide, as it were, um, oversees dioceses in geographically a huge part of the world.
1: Yeah, it is um, Propaganda Fide is is by all accounts the largest uh, and and, and I think um, probably the most independent minded. Uh, for good reason, of of all the Vatican dicasteries. because uh,
0: its job is to oversee what the church formally designates as mission dioceses around right. the world, or and, mission and territory.
1: Exactly, and mission territory doesn't necessarily mean that it, the, you know the place doesn't have a bishop or or priests or parishes or religious uh, religious orders present in the diocese. It just means you know a diocese can be mission territory if it just doesn't have the means to support itself either, sort of practically speaking, through money and stuff, but also. Um, you know, it doesn't have uh, a, a enough of a footprint amongst the faithful that it, you know, can generate its own vocations,
0: like, you know, that it's self sustaining. Places that are not self sustaining essentially are designated as mission territory by the, or, or that are historically not self sustaining. What's happening now, of course, is many dioceses that are prop fide dioceses have much a much greater number of active Catholics than dioceses in parts of the, the world where Europe, for example, where many dioceses have money, so they're self-sustaining in that way. But there are no people in the pews and no people in the sanctuary either. And that's just how the Germans like it. Sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Beg your pardon.
1: <laughs> um, so, anyway. yes. So, I, and I mean, it's also worth noting that, you know, we've, we've mentioned before, and I'm sure we will have cause to talk about it again in the course of the coming months, that there is this... New governing constitution for the Roman Curia rumbling along. um, And and one of the sort of great touted reforms that it's supposed to make is to uh, better reflect the importance of Propaganda Fide as as the sort of central dicastery of the Roman Curia, or at least preeminent dicastery of the Roman Curia, because spreading the gospel is the preeminent mission of. The church, and so yeah. it would be nice to have that reflected. As as we mentioned, that um, the last draft of of the new constitution that I saw didn't actually do that. It actually made yeah. the Secretary of State the most important one, but you know that it doesn't look like that's going to be the case in whatever the final draft is. And I think that's you know that's well and good. The, you know, the proclamation of the gospel is the core mission of the church, and so the you know the Roman department in charge with the proclamation of the gospel is.
0: Especially is, to, is right to people to, or to places that are not, you know, fully imbued with the Christian culture is sort of the, the idea.
1: And and I I would say this. If like me you're really, you know, sometimes just fed up with this whole foul jamboree of a world, <laughs> we wanna we wanna support propaganda feed it, because once the gospel has been preached to all nations and all peoples, then the Lord will come again. And, and that's what Lord, we really want.
0: The thing about that is that you it's like it's like whack-a-mole, right? Because once the gospel has been proclaimed to all nations and to all peoples, um, uh, by the time you are pre- preaching the gospel in one place, the places who heard it initially have largely forgotten it. And so, um, the the mission of the mission of
1: evangelization perdures, right? Yeah. Well, and I mean, traditional traditionally Christian countries are now not at all self sustaining. I mean, you know, there's a case to be made that basically all of Scandinavia should be mission territory, should be considered mission territory. Uh, certainly, the diocese there, although they are very old, centuries old, they are not by any means economically or
0: uh, otherwise self-sustaining. and not just because the country is not um, Catholic the countries of Scandinavia are not Catholic, but because the, they're places that are exemplars of just o- overall secularism, which is to say that people are increasingly irreligious altogether. yeah, they I mean, h- historically, if they're anything, they're they're quite Protestant. Um, right. but there's just they're they're now completely secularized then and it, interestingly, you know, it's funny that you say that because Pope Francis gave Scandinavia a cardinal. Um, not so many years ago, maybe five years ago, I think he made the Bishop of, of Stockholm uh, a cardinal, which was very surprising because the Diocese of Stockholm is a is a very small diocese. There are not a lot of Catholics in Stockholm, and um, and not in a Catholic country. Not the kind of place that you would expect to be uh, to see a cardinal. And the Pope has sort of made cardinals in a lot of places that are not sort of historically, you know, sort. Of Powerful or significant places in the church, but to see that happen kind of in Europe, um, which is a way of sort of saying, indeed, this is a, a sort of periphery of the of the Christian world, was a fascinating statement.
1: I think so, and I, I think it was helpful. I, mean, I I don't know anything about
0: the Cardinal Archbishop of Stockholm. Himself, I think he's actually the. I think I, I, want to say actually he's the Cardinal Bishop of Stockholm. I don't even think I could be wrong, but I'm not even hundred percent certain it's an archdiocese. Oh well, there you go. I'm um, gonna look it up while we talk.
1: But anyway, I, 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 think the, the experience of someone who is, a bishop of a, a major European city that is completely secularized, in which you know the, the church and the, the faith and the proclamation of the gospel is basically starting from, scratch. I think is a valuable perspective that needs to be heard in the church. And I would value that being heard in, in, a, in a future conclave, whenever that may be. I think it's an important perspective. And so I, you know, I, I also, I remember where that happened. I mean, you know, it, the, and Francis does like cardinals from the peripheries. I mean, we have a cardinal in Newark and, you know, you you really can't get any further
0: no, to stop, the periphery like than New that. Jersey. I mean, I don't like you to say that. I I don't like you to say that. That's not true. Yeah. So as as regards Stockholm, the diocese of Stockholm is um, is indeed itself a diocese, and it is just for just for like um, comparison. I, I looked it up and just kind of wanted to compare it to another diocese, and I think it is roughly the same size, the same number of Catholics as the diocese of like Salina, Kansas would be. So it's so Salina, Kansas is a good, but it's a pretty small diocese, and and, and I want to say that they're it'd be roughly on par with each other. Um, that might not be a good example because Salina is a particularly small American diocese, but maybe um, maybe like the diocese of Jefferson City, Missouri, a, a, a small rural diocese in the United States is my point is the Diocese of Stockholm, and it has a cardinal, which is, again, this expression of something which we were not intending to talk about. It's not on our list, but th- this kind of thing that we're talking about, the, um, the 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 kind of once Christian cultures which now need the gospel, This that's, that's what John Paul II meant when he was talking about the new evangelization, which I think is, to some extent, a term that's kind of fallen out of vogue, but to another extent, a term that had been, I think, frequently sort of mischaracterized for people to think it meant like I don't know cool hip stuff, but what John Paul II meant by new evangelization is newly proclaiming the gospel among peoples and cultures that once were Catholic and now have been, for whatever reason, given over to secularism. Yeah, the
1: new evangelization does not mean guitars and tambourines. The new evangelization right. means or
0: like websites and like hashtag hashtag or other yeah. Scandals, the new like
1: evangelization um, is not a is not a YouTube channel. It is uh... right.
0: <laughs> exactly right. That's exactly. That's it's Eastern exactly Germany, right. you know,
1: where the where all faith was completely stamped out um, during the sort of partition of Germany, and it was when it was the um, the DDR, Deutsche Demokratische Republik, the the Soviet satellite state. I mean, you know, and if you go, if you go, I don't know, have you been to around Germany much?
0: I have not been around Germany much. I've been to like um, I've been to like Munich and Cologne and um, the nice Berlin. parts, basically. Yeah.
1: Yeah, fair enough, uh, but no, I mean East Germany is fascinating if you ever if you ever go through it because I mean there it is you know scorched earth in terms of historical Christianity in many places and towns that were built, you know during the post war era, you know have a have a definite sort of communist flavor to the architecture and things, but also there you can tell there are towns without churches at the center that if you go to a West German town. It might be empty, but there's a church in the center of the town,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, and and that's just not there in in other parts of the country. So it's yeah, this is this is the new evangelization. Getting back to what we were. Hold on,
0: I want to say one other thing about that, and then we'll get back because that's what John what John Paul II actually had in mind when he started talking about the new evangelization was was were the parts of the world that had lost Christian or had lost a lot of the cultural um, artifacts of Christianity or cultural aspects of Christianity during the Soviet period. Um, That's kind of that was the first thing that he had in mind, but. When I think about it, Colorado, where I live, is an increasingly uh, secular and aggressively secular place. That, um, in a certain way, had a less you know has a less of a Christian history than than did Germany, but um, had had a more at one time more of a Christian culture than it certainly does now, and is an increasingly secular place. And the reason I thought about that is because you know um, I, I was just thinking about the development of sort of new suburban. Um, to, uh, enclaves in in the city of Denver like you know kind of um b- big new development projects which which are sort of built in the new urbanism style of like small yards and common green spaces and then you know walkable mini downtowns every half mile or so and what's interesting is as i think about those there one thing that's true about them is there's almost never sort of built into the planning of those things a space for a church the churches are always on the peripheries of those because it's entirely sort of devoid of the thinking of the developers
1: if anything it would be a divisive
0: and marring right. thing yeah. to inject into a, uh, the community yeah no, I, which is a good reminder for us that the, in fact we live in uh, the mission territory of the new evangelization absolutely Going uh, back to Rome. And going back thing. to Rome.
1: So, yeah, on Saturday. <laughs> so Cardinal Sarah used to work there. And Cardinal uh, Sarah used to work there. He actually tendered his resignation in June last year.
0: Not from Prop Fide, but from, from the, the place where he had been prefect or head since 2014, the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of Sacraments.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. So Cardinal Cardinal Sarah tendered his, his resignation in June last year when he turned 75, as all heads of Roman dicasteries are are required by law, so to do, mm-hmm. and the Pope uh, as is often the custom, uh, not just with curial heads, but also with you know, diocesan bishops and, and others who uh, submit their resignations at the same age, accepted it, you know, sort of nunc pro tunc. In other words, you know, I'm taking this and I'm putting it in a drawer, and right. you know, when I know what I want to do next, I'll take it out of the drawer and accept it. Mm-hmm. And so he accepted Cardinal Sarah or Sarah's resignation on on Saturday. And um, what was interesting about this is. Well, there's a couple of interesting things about this from a sort of curial watching standpoint. The first is, of course, that uh, although he had turned 75 last June, Cardinal Sarai was by no means the oldest serving head of a Roman dicastery. You know, we've got Cardinal um, Beniamino Stella, who's head of the Congregation for Clergy, who is not 77. Gonna... It's 79, I think. Oh, is he really? Okay. Yeah, I think he turns
0: 80 this summer. Cardinal um, Let 76. Yeah, Cardinal Daria.
1: So you know Cardinal Sarah is by no means uh, the 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 old man of the curia. Yeah. Um, but what was even more surprising than that is um, is that there was no replacement named, and this is very unusual because ordinarily yeah. what happens when a curial uh, department changes leadership is you you often um, don't get much about the outgoing guy at all, except that you know when the when the Bulletino comes out, it's it, it says resignations and appointments and it says, you know, the Pope accepts the resignation of Cardinal X and the Pope appoints Cardinal Y. And then Cardinal Y gets a huge write up and you know, biography and everything else. And often what will have happened is Cardinal X, the outgoing head, will have actually gone a month or more prior and sort of, you know, yeah, quietly just sort of
0: slipped out the back door and yeah. Yeah.
1: Just stopped coming to work basically and, you know, mm-hmm. gone wherever it is that he's going to live in retirement and sort of quietly exited. Uh, but that's not the case here, that actually what's happened is they've sort of announced that Cardinal sarah has gone, and we don't know who's taking his place, which is which is very odd. It's, a, it's definitely a break with custom. Um, I, I, I don't have a ready explanation for that. You know, I, we talked to a few people in Rome. I'd I just like to record my gripe here, as usual, if anyone from the Sala Stampa is listening. Uh, we have a few... Surprises. They did it on a Saturday! Yeah, you did it on a Saturday, Again.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. What's
1: wrong with Monday, people?
0: Right. right. Good so Lord. A, yeah, so it was a Saturday. It was a Saturday. I, I don't know about you, but I had promised Mrs. Flynn that I wouldn't be doing much working. Uh, and then uh, I think you had promised... I don't know what you would promised Mrs. Flynn, but I think you had promised Mrs. Condon that you wouldn't be doing that much working.
1: And I swore then, blind I wouldn't
0: do any work. I had a yeah, full dance card that day. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, and, and I didn't have a full dance card. and Mrs. Flynn had a full dance card of like things that did not involve kids. Like I told her... Straight up, like, yeah, I'm not going to do. Uh, maybe I got to read this or that, but I'm not really going to be doing anything. Go do, you know, what you need to do. And then, uh, and then the Holy See announced that Cardinal Surrah had retired. So on a personal level, you know, um, was not uh, was not an ideal Saturday for us. Uh, we but, need, if if people want to make our lives better.
1: And I know you do, dear listeners, because that's presumably why you're putting up listening to us every week. Um,
0: I think they want us to make their lives better, right? Well, I not, know, but uh, help this us is help our you. our as... service to our listeners. And sure, so but I'm saying in a sort of
1: J- work, J.D., I don't know if you know this about the podcast, but we're a community.
0: Yeah, sure, we're, sure, a sure, sure,
1: we're a group. We're a family. We help each other. So if you, dear listeners, want to help us, help you, get everyone you know to subscribe to The Pillar. And then when we have enough subscriptions, maybe we can hire a Roam reporter and That's then I don't have to get and up on Saturday morning for to work
0: on Saturdays. But you know, yeah. they kind of, a lot of the times work half a day on Saturday and yeah. So yes, if you want to help us help you dear listeners, that would be great. You could subscribe to the pillar and then, and then we could, uh, we could do that, but it, that didn't happen this Saturday. Instead we, um, we both were kind of immediately texting, talking on the phone about this. You wrote something on Saturday. I wrote something on Sunday. But you're right. There's not an immediate explanation for um, for why Cardinal Seurat was allowed to retire before his successor was named outside of the ordinary custom of things. And there are any kind of number of explanations. It's, it's also surprising, at least in my view, that the prefect for the Congregation for Divine Worship and Sacraments would be dismissed, or excuse me, would have his retirement accepted during Lent. Um, in a year in which so many kind of liturgical things are unusual. What I mean by that is that, you know, there are any number of states of sort of circumstances here in the U.S., but there are other countries sort of still under lockdown or not under lockdown, and Easter Vigil is liturgically the big deal. Easter Vigil is the Super Bowl of liturgies. You know, you bring people into the church, baptizing people, you have all these readings, and lots of things are happening, and there's a lot of lead-up to that um, in terms of kind of sacramental Uh, delegations and sacramental preparations and questions about how liturgy can be celebrated in various ways during the pandemic. And so I suspect that the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of Sacraments is going to get a lot of questions between now and Easter. And that made it especially surprising.
1: Yeah, I mean, they have uh, under Cardinal for they've already published, I think, some guidelines and things for for Holy Week this year. But you're right. The
0: guidelines for Holy Week this year are kind of funny because they said, see the guidelines from last year.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there are going to be more uh, more questions that come up between now and then, so it is it is very weird, uh, you know. And there, I've had I've heard a couple of different theories about why why it's happened uh, the way that it has. I wrote about a few of them, and that I, I don't find any of them especially persuasive. Um, what I, I think is perhaps the most likely explanation for all of this is that this is the the first of several curial resignations that are going to be accepted this year. I'm expecting a pretty hefty turnover. Uh, We haven't really seen a major cabinet reshuffle, so to speak, from Pope Francis since he's been appointed. You know, Cardinal Serra was one of his first sort of big new appointments when he became Pope in 2014. Um, and, And so, you know, with him going now, this is kind of, I think it's it's a signal that we're, we're approaching a changing of the guard in the Roman Curia. And, you know, we talked about Cardinal Ouellette, Cardinal Stella. I think both of them are very likely to to be pensioned off uh, in the coming months. And so I think Cardinal Serres, in that sense, sort of the first domino to fall on what's going to be a big curial restructuring. Now, of course, <laughs> uh, who who replaces all of these guys? You know, there there are some indications. We're, we're following those stories closely. But it, it will also depend a great deal on what's the new shape of the Roman Curia, because if we do get a sort of new constitution, we could be looking at the the merging and restructuring of how these different departments are. I've heard more than one person suggest to me that the Congregation for Divine Worship could be merged with um, some smaller pontifical councils sort of absorb them, or even merged with the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is not... Not impossible. I, I right. could I could see that happening. Um, you know, and in which case you 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 might that might be a reason why there's no um, no successor designated for Cardinal Serres, because they're waiting to appoint ahead of what people will inevitably insist on calling a new super dicastery, which I hate that. I hate that term. Yeah, I hate that too. term. It's such a silly word. Anyway, but that's one possible reason, and, and so we really won't know until these things start start sort of shaking out. Uh, but I think the most likely answer for you know why why last weekend why last Saturday is you know because the Pope decided to and you know you can say a lot of things uh, about Pope Francis and I think one thing that everyone can agree on is he's a guy who just you know acts he does what he does yeah, he yeah does what he, does. When he says yeah. he wants to when he decides he wants to do something he does it if he says he, he wants it. a guy mm-hmm. to
0: resign they're gone uh, that's yeah. you know that's how it works
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah one of the things that came out of that there's a lot of things unpacked there but one of the things that kind of came out of the Surah resignation was. Just the frustrating thing for me of just the unusual just the ordinary kind of um uh the ordinary kind of trope that gets pulled out with Sarah and Pope Francis, where like Sarah is painted as the enemy of Pope Francis and you know, the Pope is against him and all these things and and I wrote about that listeners to the show might have listened read it or if they didn't they can. But um it, it it just it frustrates me because I think there's a way in which people exaggerate the um Surah so, and the Holy Father obviously have different theological starting points in a lot of different ways. I mean, they just come from different, I think, sort of schools of theological thought. Um, and, uh, and, and that's true, right? I mean, it's not that they come to all, the, all different conclusions, but they, they come from different sort of perspectives on theology. Um, interestingly, kind of devotionally, they seem to have a lot of things in common, probably because they're like sort of devout guys from the same generation, but, you know, and, and, and not from the West. They don't have the baggage. I, I don't think they have the exact same baggage of kind of the Western liturgical wars of, of, uh, uh, of yore. So they just have—their the, 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 temperaments in certain ways don't seem all that different either. But the, they come from markedly different theological schools. I think that's clear. But more than that, you know, that gets sort of played up as like Pope Francis and, the, and his conservative foil, Cardinal Seurat, or Cardinal Seurat undermining Pope Francis or whatever. And, and Francis picked him. He picked and him Francis in the first place. Francis right? Francis appointed him in the first place. And people say, well, maybe that was, you know, maybe Benedict had wanted to appoint him and, and Francis just carried it over, whatever, whatever. Uh, you know, maybe it's because he was... He name, name, Mooseface. I mean, I remember when
1: they were looking for a new head of the CDW. Yeah. It was a big freaking deal. Like, there were a lot of runners and riders right. and there was a so-called lib candidate that was going to yeah. come in and everyone was losing their minds over it. You know, when Marini yeah. was supposed to get... Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the and, Pope made and, a conscious and, decision. He picked this right,
0: guy. Exactly. And so, you know, there's that. and, and But also just like... Uh, I think it's fair to say that they're from different, you know, tribes, if you will, different, d- just markedly different sort of friend groups in the Vatican, if you will. Um, and I think those things play a role, right? Because the Pope would be saying, well, should I, to his own advisor, should I keep the, should I keep him on? You know, should I let his retirement go? And there wouldn't be anybody sort of in the in the room with the Pope saying, oh, Sarah's the guy we got, it. he's our guy or something like that. But that doesn't make them, that's true, right? But that doesn't make them... The, the 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 characterization that I think that the characterization that comes often of people uh, like Cardinal Sarah who don't come from the same sort of theological starting point of the Pope is that they're willfully trying to undermine him or they're anti-Francis or those things. And I think there is, I mean, a genuine vein of people who are like truly uh, beyond the pale of, of 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 anti-Francis. But sort of every person who is not um, from the Pope's social group, it does not fit into the or you know theological. Uh, starting point does not fit into that category. And no, so Robert Holmes you yeah. know character caricatured grossly
1: miscaricatured. I mean Cardinal Sarah has been throughout his tenure, um unbelievably public in his absolute loyalty to Pope Francis. I mean he's he's talked about it often. He said that there is no communion with the church except communion with the person of the Pope. Like he said that in terms when people were freaking out about, him, I forget which synod it was. It was either hmm. the young people synod or uh, the synod on the family. And people were making this big noise about, oh, this is, you know, you can't do this. The Pope can't do this. Amoris and Cardinal Sarah said like in terms, if you are not in communion with the Pope, you are not in communion with the Catholic church. There is no middle ground. Yeah. you You don't get to pick and choose. Like he's that kind of guy. And you know, on like big disciplinary issues like clerical celibacy, you know, the people often try and portray Cardinal Sarah as sort of, you know, undermining Francis and attacking Francis. like that, you know, the co author yeah, yeah. book with Benedict XVI that he put out on defending clerical celibacy. And it was like, oh, this is a wild attack on Pope Francis. No, it wasn't. They said exactly the same thing that Pope Francis said. In fact, Pope Francis's PR guy came out and said, this is a great book. Pope Francis loved it. He welcomed it as a, as a filial and loyal contribution to his side of the argument. You know, the... But people insisted on saying, no, he's an evil conservative. and I mean, but the, let's be clear. The people who really like to paint Cardinal Seurat as a as a sort of anti-Francis instigator are people who just don't like the fact that there is a, an African black conservative running an important Vatican department and that he was put there by Pope Francis. He just annoyed them for that reason. He didn't fit in with a particular worldview they had huh. of what the church should look like. I, I do. I really do. That's what I think. Huh. I think that you look at the people who have advanced the most pointed criticisms of Cardinal Sarah, and I think there's more than a tinge of, well, for example, do you remember the the German cardinal who said we shouldn't be lectured by these oh, yeah. Africans? Yeah, and, you know that yeah. was that was
0: he was talking about Sarah. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. I, I don't like to I liberal
1: white Germans
0: don't like black African conservatives. That's I the truth. I don't I don't I'm more recent than you I guess to sort of uh, to sort of assign race to the whole thing, but. As a factor, but you know, I'm not saying I think it's impossible. But, but more than that, I'm just saying, like, it's just, it's just like after the Holy Father um, promulgated Curita Amazonia*, the um, the uh, his post-synodal apostolic exhortation after the Amazon Synod. One of the things that really like just frustrated me to no end was how many sort of progressive Catholics were saying, "Oh, he the Pope betrayed us," and he or, or the Pope was you know himself thwarted and doing what he wanted to do. He was going to give us women's a ordination. Coward, the he was Pope called. is a coward he was called and he didn't listen to the census fidelium because he didn't give he didn't give us the um, women priests and deacons. And it's like um the the caricatures of the Pope. Now I have raised on this show and will continue to raise questions that I have about um, aspects of the Pope's Magisterium that I genuinely don't understand, aspects of the Pope's leadership that I genuinely don't understand. Um they exist, right? I mean, so, you know, I'm I'm not saying each person must be in sort of lockstep. That kind of ultramontanism doesn't make sense to me either. But the the caricature of the Pope, the, the way in which sort of um, theologically progressive Catholics have sort of tried to paint the Pope as being someone who's going to repudiate Catholic orthodoxy at every turn is exactly Paint him into a quarter to get him to do so. Right, exactly. And at the same time, the way in which um, the way in which a, a certain strain of theological conservatives have sort of the, the sort of crowd who will only refer to the Pope as Bergoglio, the I'll call them the Bergoglios, um, the way in which this crowd of, of people are are like just publicly and viscerally disrespectful to the Pope, it's exasperating. It, it it's it's really it's exasperating. There is a way in which one can be um, faithful to the te- in which one can be faithful to the teachings of the Church, um, respectful of the Holy Father as the principle of unity in the life of the Church. Um, Wanting to you know get clarity on things recognize the way in which the holy father comes from a different theological school uh, than perhaps certainly than I was formed in um, and 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 you know thinking that there are legitimate theological questions to, to be unpacked about a lot of things without at the same time sort of Needing the pope to be this caricature extreme of one thing or another It's reading the entire curia and the dynamics of the curia through the lens of one ideology or another and it's 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 exasperating
1: it is exasperating but it's I try to just not let that in you know when when I'm when I'm constructing the the perfect echo chamber that I have tried to make my Twitter feed for example <laughs> no I do I do. I've said it before and I'll say it again my my Twitter feed is not a public service broadcast it's there for my own amusement and entertainment and I don't feel the need to expose myself to what I consider to be unserious and disingenuous um good points you. of view. And people who routinely sort of trash the Pope as being not um either not a valid Pope, you know, the sort of full on Sede Vacante crazies, or just the people who say, Yeah, he's the Pope, but he's a heretic and he's wrong and all this. I like, I don't I don't need to listen to that. I don't have time for that. You know who doesn't have time for that? Cardinal Sarah.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yeah. Clowns to the left, Jokers to the right, as it were. Um But you know what what <laughs> What we had, what we very had, true. What we had intended to talk about, because you're right. I think the going back to Seurat, I think well, you're saying Seurat, I'm saying Seurat. Let's call the whole thing off. Going back to Cardinal Syrah, um you know, I think you're right that his resignation is the first step among several that are coming. That um, probably the prefect of the Congregation for Clergy is soon to be replaced. Probably the prefect of the Congregation for Bishops is soon to be replaced. I don't think the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, who himself is over 75, is soon to be replaced because he hasn't been in the job for very long, and because he seems to be um, he, he seems to be a person who has you know a close relationship with the Holy Father, his friends have a close He's relationship. He's got with his SJ Holy Father. after they're, his name. Both, they're both Jesuits. Yeah, I just don't see that that being ur- as urgent for the Pope in any way. Um, but anyway, I do think we're going to see these changes soon. Um, and, you know, maybe they presage the kind of promulgation of this curial reorganization thing. Maybe they don't. But this was the question that I had wanted us to talk about, Ed, and, uh, and, and I don't know any other way to phrase it, but I think it's good for us both to talk about it. When we think about these things and we talk about these things, they kind of matter to us because we follow the internal life of the, the governance of the church. But I'd like us both to reflect for a moment on um, two people who are listeners to this show, but far less invested in Vatican politics than we. W- why does the Roman Curia, Ed, um, why does it matter? Why should it matter? Why is it important for our moms? Devout, faithful, practicing, holier than us Catholics who are not paying attention to these things, w- w- why, why should it matter to them? Uh, hi, mom. <laughs> um, my mom I is should... going to hope that you're saying hi to her because my mom's a huge Condon fan. I, I would never be so disrespectful to your
1: mother as, as to say hi <laughs> Good, mom. I'm
0: glad that would be weird.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, why does it matter? I mean, it, it, we, we, well, we've touched on some of this already. Uh, you know, why does it matter? Because we're in the run-up to Easter, uh, we're still in a pandemic, we're still in a situation where the liturgical life of the church is having to uh, adjust to shifting terrain in a very rapid way, um, and, and the the office that makes those calls is the one that is currently empty. So in the sort of immediate term, why does this matter? It's because of that. Also, you know, the over and above the sort of specific day job of any one curial cardinal, whether it's heading... You know the church's of sacramental office or doctrinal office or evangelization office that and we've said this before very often in rome and, and this is certainly true under pope francis although i think it's also true although perhaps it was unintentionally true under benedict the 16th and to an extent jp2 personality is policy in at the level of the roman curie in a lot of ways and so who is in these uh senior positions in rome you know, it, it doesn't change the it doesn't change the lyrics of the song, but it changes the music. Um, you know how um, how instructions come out, how responses from dioceses are dealt with. Uh, you know how how you know what's that what tone of voice is Mother Rome speaking with it is very much influenced by these things, and it comes out in a range of you know whether it's official responses or documents or whether it's just in. Um, you know the sort of the tone of of everyday chatter coming out of the Vatican that these you know these are important jobs and they do they do trickle down and even if you're not sort of following the the cut and thrust of the daggers behind the curtain uh, as as involves the curia I think it still bleeds into ordinary um, diocesan life in lots of parts of the world I think in lots of parts of the world they they are in a way there is such a thing as the congregation for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments and they're probably happier in their faith as a result of that um but it does happen i mean and, and for example a practical thing that's coming down the lane is there's a big consultation going on right now being run by the cdw on how it's going with the extraordinary form um you know how how the sort of the 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 latin mass um is being lived in, in dioceses across the world, and that's a big sort of listening exercise that's going on, and, you know, how the responses to that questionnaire are going to be compiled and presented and, you know, sent to the Holy Father for him to muse upon. That's going to be affected by, you know, who the next guy in this office is. So, you know, that in turn can have a, a you know, an impact one way or another on the sort of liturgical life of in your average American parish, depending on where you are. So you know, there's all sorts of reasons why this matters, I guess.
0: Yeah, I... I agree. That answers... That I don't have anything to add to that. How'd I do, Mom? <laughs> There's one other thing that I would say about the Roman Curia while we're talking about the Roman Curia, and that is that we are anticipating, in addition to personnel changes, uh, I at least am anticipating, thinking that it's probably pretty likely, and I don't know if your sources are saying the same thing, that a um, a, a change to canon law is coming, going to be coming from the Holy See soon. And uh, in a certain way, that's not all that unusual these days. There are a lot of... Um, changes to canon law. I think the last one that we saw was the Holy Father's motu proprio that um, that changed the uh, ministry of lector or permitted women to be designated to the appointed, uh, whatever the verb is, given the ministry of lector and acolyte in formal way. In Invested. Invested. Nah, is it? I don't know. I don't um, know. Yeah. Okay. I don't remember. But anyhow, um, I don't know. And that was what, a month ago or something like that. Um, so we see from time to time, these little changes in the universal law of the church, but I am anticipating that coming pretty soon is probably a major change, um, to canon law because I'm anticipating that, um, soon will be released or promulgated uh, something that has been under sort of (laughs) talked about as under review or, uh, being drafted since I was in canon law school, like, you know, a long time ago in the 2000, in the early 2000s, um, Well, I guess I started canon law school in 2006. So 2006, 2007, that era was talked about was, anyway, the revised um, Book 6 of the Code of Canon Law, Book 6, which covers the penal law of the Church. So basically sort of the criminal law of the Catholic Church um, has been apparently under revision for a very long time, 15 years or so, and is um, rumored to be uh, on the verge of promulgation any day now, a new Book 6 of the Code of Canon Law. Ed, do you hear that? What do you think? I,
1: I have heard that um I hope they're right. Uh, you know, as you said, this has been rumbling in the background for pretty much as long as we've been in in the canon law game uh, and boy, is it needed uh, I remember i the, I'd heard that it was pretty much done in 2019 mm-hmm. and was expected yeah. to be published in the in the back half of 2019. Uh, of course, some things happened. <laughs> in 2019, 2018, and 2019, which I can understand might needed to have been folded folded into that and sort of caused it to be reopened. But boy, do we need a new Book 6. So yeah, I, I have heard that. I do expect that we'll probably see it this year. I hope that we see it soon. Um, I'm very, very excited because Penal Law is my jam, mm-hmm. baby. Uh, so I, I really, you know, it, it, it's looking at, you know, some of the things that we've complained about and, and highlighted on the podcast and and in in print over the last couple of years uh, relate to problems with the penal law of the church, gaps in the penal law of the church because, you know, we've mentioned before that when the code of canon law, the 1983 code of canon law, I should say was promulgated you know, it stripped out a lot of the detail from the penal law of the church at the universal level. And it created all of these gaps. Now, this was done intentionally. And the idea was the church wanted to take a less universalist approach to legislating individual crimes and prescribing individual penalties for them. And they wanted diocesan bishops to step up and, you know, be the man in their backyard and have their own particular law that would criminalize behaviors that they felt was necessary to criminalize owing to facts and circumstances on the ground in their diocese and provide particular penalties for them. And basically no bishops did that anywhere. And so part of the guiding ethos of this revised book six, so I'm told, is to bring back some of the detail that was stripped out and to do away with uh, you know, what we call indeterminate penalties, um, You know, the sort of discretionary uh, latitude that the law has until now. Uh, given diocesan bishops in response to certain crimes, you know, so in the language of the law, it would say may be punished or are to be punished with a just penalty, or you know, basically saying do something if you want, and that's that's going to go from what I understand. Oh, good. Back, to be, you know, so back,
0: so the, the theological idea was to sort of demonstrate deference to diocesan bishop because that was a major thematic element of the Second Vatican Council. In practice, we've seen that no bishop, very few bishops, have promulgated um, particular penal law, and so the new Book Six will sort of uh, say okay well we tried that it didn't work so back to specificity yes back yeah. to specificity
1: and particularly in response to the sexual abuse crisis or i suppose mm-hmm. we should say the sexual yeah. abuse crises yeah. um doing away with indeterminate penalties and saying no the the, the punishment for this crime is this sentence mm-hmm. you don't get discretionary latitude it's not gonna be to this pick a just penalty or up to and including x or whatever it's weak no you do this you do the time or you do the crime here's the time that's what mm-hmm. you get. Yeah, uh, And I'm really looking forward to that. I think that will be a big help. There's also, you know, more looking sort of a the more recent um, timeline. You know, Pope Francis has actually been a fairly prolific legislator in terms of yeah. penal law in the church. And I think uh, much of it I quite liked. But there have been some things that don't jive well together. So, for example, the standing procedural norms for dealing with gravior delicta, major crimes in the church, crimes against the faith, basically. Uh, uh, that can only be judged by the Holy See uh, is currently uh, laid out in a in a proprio called
0: Sacramentorum Sanctitatis Tutela, and then uh, Norma de Delicta Gravoribus as a as a as an adapt- adaptation of SSD, and then there's another adaptation subsequent to that. Yeah, so this mm-hmm. is all
1: stuff that you you'd like to see folded into a new Book Six, so that we weren't dealing with layers of ad hoc legislation, which is what you know the, the first Code of Canon Law was supposed to do in 1917 anyway, was to say, look, we've got all of these overlapping and self-referential documents and it all gets a bit crazy. So let's just put it all systematically down. So I hope the new book six does that. Also, you know, uh, there, there is a, there is a lingering contradiction in the law, or at least in the, in the, in the praxis of some parts of the law or how there's a question of interpretation that's open at the moment with regards to sexual abuse in particular, which is this, um, the, under SST there's always been this this bracket of a vulnerable adult. Um, and, and there the are competing definition, definitions of that. Yeah. Yeah. There are and competing definitions in law. And in fact, uh, so the the standard of the CDF has been that someone who, uh, someone who is a vulnerable adult is basically someone with severe developmental disabilities, someone who habitually lacks the use of reason, someone who, you know, we would recognize as being otherwise unable to care for themselves. Now, there was following the sort of McCarrick scandal a push to broaden the definition of a vulnerable adult to basically any any kind of
0: a person um, who's in a relationship of uh, a, a relationship of subordination. So a person, who's, yeah, any, any uh, disparity pushing, of power, right, exactly. Yeah, it could yeah. be pastoral, okay, it could be hierarchical, right. it could be emotional. It, and for that. the re- and the reason why that happened is because we have genuinely seen abuses of which power, power. Yeah, ways in which power uh, power imbalances can be dramatically uh, um, exploited.
1: Yeah. And well, anyway, so notwithstanding the promulgation of Vos Estes, which has redefined it in this way, it also in the text of Vos Estes said that the procedural norms of SST remain unaffected for CDF cases. So basically sets with the thing where CDF has one definition and Vos Estes has another and those two are in conflict and it's not clear what to do with the cases that meet the Vos Estes definition of vulnerable adult um, and who's supposed to deal with them? Because right. the clergy C- is the
0: congregation for clergy competent for them, but not yeah. CDF, which I think is CDF's position. But yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so hopefully we'll see that resolved. I, for myself,
1: I, I do not like, and I have never liked, and I've I've said this over and over again, written about it. That uh, I don't like this expanded bracket of vulnerable adult. I mean, you know, certainly. Oh, I think
0: uh, it's hugely important. I, I I disagree. Oh no, I disagree. I
1: we need to have something in law about this. Don't get me wrong. We need to criminalize the abuse of hierarchical relationships and pastoral relationships and all of that thing. What I do not like is I do not like the 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 creation of broad categories that oh, okay. can't be well defined. And I really don't like the the folding in of an entire. Um, group bracket that's so broad as this as any kind of hierarchical or pastoral or you know relationship of disparity and saying this is all to be treated in law as equivalent to the sexual abuse of a minor that's wrong well it's not i think the same. i think they're not the same made... thing well i, I uh... They're not the same things. They're not. The same, not.
0: They're not the same things in that the abuse of a minor is the abuse of a minor. But uh, I think the efforts of the law thus far have been to say, okay, we now we see uh, we see a major lacuna in the law because we have not accounted for the way in which right. power power can be abused, can be abused dramatically absolutely. But the way a
1: grown up fixes the law. When you see a major lacuna say we need to write new law, you don't go for the quick
0: fix of saying, well, we'll just say this is all equivalent of the law to this other thing we've got a law I for. I think the reason they did that is because they wanted to get Vosestis out quickly. And for what it's worth, you— No, there to, were other people who wanted—who were
1: arguing. Cardinal O'Malley was—I mm-hmm. remember listening to Cardinal O'Malley make a speech from the floor at, the, at one of the USCCB conferences saying we in need Baltimore.
0: To, we need to make this distinction. I, I recall that as well. Mm-hmm.
1: No, not, not to make a distinction. On the contrary, he's saying we need to broaden out the definition of vulnerable adult.
0: But he did. But I don't think he wanted to. I could be wrong. You you remember better than I do because you this obviously sat with you. But um, I I did not recall that he wanted to sort of make them. I, I appreciate your point of not making them equivalent in law. But I don't. I I I think. From a I'm functional not saying they should be criminalized. I'm not saying yeah, it's not from a serious behavior. From a functional perspective, I think what we've realized is that the, not only is there a lacuna with regard to sort of the the abuse of power and the way in which that can be dramatically exploited, but that that can be as damaging to the. Um, spiritual health of an entire community as can other kinds of abuse and we saw that because we've seen the fallout from a be as dramatic of an impact on the life of the church as was the fallout of 2002 again i'm not saying it doesn't need to be criminalized
1: and there isn't a huge lacuna that needs to be addressed there does there absolutely does i'm just saying that there is and i mean we've worked on cases like this mm-hmm. the, you are not comparing apples with apples to talk about the sexual abuse of a child under 10 right, and right, right, a power right. disparity relationship between two adults in their 40s. Yeah, it's, it's not true. the same It's prime. not the same thing. I, I agree and with you about that. it's wrong to pretend that it is.
0: And, and, and the consequence of that is that there is not the thing that we have been talking about consistently, which is that the, there need to be... Um, uh, a graduated metric of penalties yeah. that fits with a graduated metric. And okay. this is my point: yeah. is if you go for the sugar high quick fix of just saying, oh, we'll just call it all
1: the same thing in law," it's like, no, that doesn't fix anything. You're just setting up a new system that won't work because and part of the reason why we're is because people the same
0: thing and people won't enforce it because they'll yeah. say. Uh, you know, p- there's too much risk of people saying, well, the law is so uh, is the law is is uh, so serious in this way that we're we're going to ignore it. I mean, there's greater likelihood of people ignoring it if they feel like it doesn't fit the crime appropriately. OK, so that's your that's your sort of legal pet peeve that you think hope will be in pet in, in the new books. That and time. I really My, hope that they can. T- t- re- oh, second. Oh, no, you would know. do
1: latest? Oh, yeah, let's do that.
0: <laughs> my hope is that if I have a pet peeve that I really hope will be kind of removed from— I, I, I'm not optimistic about this. I don't think it will be. But if I have a pet peeve that I really hope will be removed from the new revision to penal law, it's that I—if I had my druthers and were the universal legislator of the church, which I'm not, um, I would do away with latest intentiae penalties. Uh, latest intentiae penalties, which are often kind of referred to as automatic penalties, are, are not automatic. They are— um, what it means is that a person who does a particular act, there are any number of penalties that, there are any number of canonical crimes that come with them, a latest intensity penalty, a person who commits a particular act by that fact, it potentially incurs an ecclesiastical penalty, sort of ipso facto, except that there are some conditions. The person has to have a certain awareness of the criminality of the thing. Um, The person has to have had moral agency at the time they were doing it. The person has to be 16 at the time that they were doing it. Um, And, If they incur this penalty, the penalty uh, does not have juridic effect. In other words, it doesn't impact the person's life in any way unless the bishop declares it. And the bishop has to declare it only after he's examined the facts and circumstances and the reality. And it's an extremely sort of complicated thing in which, at the end of the day, before the bishop can declare a penalty for a person having had done something, he has to have some kind of process to review, at the very least, the imputability of the person. And uh, so we have these penalties that people think of as automatic that actually involve a process. And then on the other side of the coin, we have the application of penalties after a process. It seems to me to create a whole lot of confusion, especially because late intensia penalties, these sort of automatic penalties, are never or almost never, very rarely, declared by the diocesan bishop. So it's it's sort of this vestigial thing that exists but doesn't exist is unlike a process but is the same as a process. It's it's It adds a level of complexity that most people people that i encounter who live their day-to-day lives in the administration of the church do not understand and um, that very rarely gets applied in, in any adequate manner. Down with lateness, intensity, excommunications and other penalties. You don't actually think that it's possible to excommunicate anyone in the universe, I so. do. I do think it's possible, <laughs> but I think that I think that you're going to have a process anyway, so you might as well just say we're going to have a process. Okay. No, I I hear you. I've, I and I I am
1: aware of um Mature and seasoned canonical minds like you.
0: <laughs> have Many of called. them are people who have worked inside of diocesan administrations and see the kind of confusion yeah. that this category of penalties causes. I'm yeah, not saying that and, I don't think the thing should be penalized. I'm just saying let's just have one main do, really. of doing it. <laughs> do this is and this is always it's I, I reflexively. It, I mean, true. in my it's heart of true. hearts, it's do I? True.
1: In my heart of hearts, do I want? Uh, do I think that? latest intensity penalties have any particular legal utility no but i'm culturally attached to them because there is still a culture of non-enforcement and never and punish. they
0: contribute to that they contribute to that because we have these things on the books that the bishop never declares the bishop doesn't even know how to declare them i'm not saying doesn't know how to declare them but kind of bishops who are listening i think you would agree if you Take a moment of self-examination. Don't get defensive here. But the bishop is not quite sure what he's supposed to do if someone has incurred a late intensity of communication. And even if he hears someone confess something, he maybe he's supposed to go to the apostolic penitentiary. Maybe he has the faculty. Maybe his priests have the faculty. It's confusing. It's confusing. And then we have this thing about remitting penalties in the confessional versus forgiving sins in the confessional. And a lot of priests don't understand that. And fathers, if you're listening, you will agree that sometimes that's not immediately clear to you. Which again, I, I'm not saying that we should not apply canonical penalties with vigor and vim and enthusiasm i think we should which is why i think we should simplify the system so people aren't afraid of it
1: yeah i i think that all that will happen if you get rid of late sententia penalties is those will just become crimes without punishments at all i i think at least i i think there is the there is still the benefit of late sententia penalties that some offenders because the real purpose of latest the real purpose of any excommunication or um, similar penalty that's not vindictive is medicinal is to prick the conscience of the offender and i think that i i have seen i know people who have actually incurred late sententia penalties um by by doing things that they didn't intend presume to do or that they have incurred late or, or presume that it is it has pricked their conscience and caused them to you know basically investigate themselves right. or get themselves investigated to resolve their
0: situation and uh, you know I'll just say the the other thing about that is that it is amazing to me. I, maybe I'm wired differently, but it is amazing to me that the prospect of an ecclesiastical penalty is the kind of thing that will motivate a person to reform instead of the prospect of the fires of hell. I I'm a contrarian ed. I recognize that I have problems with authority. I recognize that, but if I felt that I was just if I felt that I was in the right, and and I, and the penalty of excommunication were imposed upon me for something, and I thought that I was in the right. I'm not sure if I genuinely had examined my conscience and whatever. I, I'm not sure that it would stop me in my tracks. The idea that I might go to hell stops me in my tracks. I really don't want to go to hell. I bet you don't either. So it, maybe we just ought to talk about, maybe to your point, we should have these things to prick the conscience. Maybe we just ought to talk about the prospect of damnation more. I got no, to tell no, we're you. We're talking about law, not theology. That's the thing. <laughs> oh, but if the purpose of that if the purpose of this law is We to, are
1: living in a society, JD. A society has are. to have laws. We are, the, church but the, of, power, the, the church has coercive power. The church has right to but coerce But the purpose her. of
0: this penalty you're saying is principally spiritual. And no, I'm, no, I'm saying, saying it's coercive. I'm saying, I'm saying it's coercive. For it's the sake of repentance. Income. And I'm saying that. I'm saying that in fact it, it does not have it, it does not have the penitential effect that we would like it to have because it is used so haphazardly sloppily and misunderstood. And Yeah. Well, and you far better show for us me to understand any bishop or any
1: diocese anywhere that is actually applying medicinal penalties like excommunication in any recognizable or formal way, and then uh, we can talk about getting rid of lay le- sententia penalties as an anachronism. Because until then, I'm sorry, it's it's just more. We're just injecting. More crimes without punishment, more lawlessness, everything that the Reform of Book off. 6 is
0: supposed to do. If you're a bishop listening to this program who is applying penalties in your diocese or declaring late intensity penalties in your diocese... I
1: would like to personally we, thank you and buy you lunch.
0: I would like to interview you and run a story about you while Ed is paying for our lunch. I'm not buying JD lunch, but yes. <laughs> okay, moving on. All right. Ed, what do you want to talk about? Uh... You know, I tell you the truth. We're we come to a, we Actually, we've come to the end of our program. So I think we, we, we have on our list um, the Equality Act that we want to talk about, the Equality Act. I don't think we're going to be able to. Suffice it to say, the Equality Act, which is before Congress, is the kind of thing that would have very, very serious and grave repercussions for the life of the church and for religious believers in the United States. Um, now, the next thing we have on our list is Ed's thing. What is Ed's thing?
1: Uh, well, J.D., you may recall that last week on the podcast
0: you— you got a little upset. I did. Are you ready to apologize? No. Um, and oh, more if you're to the ready point, to apologize, I'm willing to forgive you. No, I'm not going to
1: apologize for for trying to trying to you know prick the bubble of
0: misconception that you were living in. Oh gosh, prick the conscience, prick the bubble. There's the theme here with you, Ed. <laughs> well, buckle up,
1: because uh, I I some some of our listeners very very sweetly. Uh, listen to the last episode of the podcast and have submitted... What did we fight about in the last episode of the podcast for people who didn't listen? Uh, you took the, the blinkered and incorrect view that all IPAs are bad beer. and uh, I do not care for them because hobby. they're too hoppy. Exactly. Um, and, and we're not going to relitigate that. Um, history will judge. But what I can tell you is some of the listeners read this and they, they very kindly... Uh, in in response to to a tweet uh, I put out, have submitted uh, some poems about your your feelings about IPA in in the style of Doctor Seuss's immortal classic Green Eggs and Ham. So JD, I have
0: selected one, two, three. And then are you going to let me read my? Four, I kind of thought that you were doing this. So are you going to let me read my little response that I made for you? Sure,
1: but I'm going to read
0: you these four, five. Of them, and
1: you are going to have to pick a winner. All right. So pay attention, please, because you you, you do have to judge these. Okay, so this is from. Uh, this is from.
0: This I don't want to know. I want to judge them blind. Okay, you're judging them I, blind. I, I don't want to know. I mean, then it's going to be a whole thing.
1: Okay. I do not like IPAs Ed Condon. Please <laughs> don't give me one. I beg your pardon. I will not drink them in a bar. I will not drink them in a car. I do not like. The hops, if you make me drink one, I will call the cops. (laughs) For me, they are too bitter, so I will treat them just like litter. Okay. All right. And, uh, okay, so your second one. I am JD. I am Ed. Lawyer Ed. That lawyer Ed. That lawyer Ed. I do not like that lawyer Ed. Would you like some liquid (laughs) bread? I do not want it, lawyer Ed. Too many hops in liquid bread. Would you like an IPA? I would not like an IPA. I would not drink it any day. I do not want that liquid bread. I do not want it, lawyer Ed. All right. Sounds That's good. Pretty good, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, this one is, I could not, would not at the Badger. I will not, Because will the not.
0: Badger is, you wanted me to go to some place called the Badger Brewery of Brexton and drink with you a
1: There Badger. is a brewery
0: in Dorset called the Badger, Badger Brewery, brewery makes Dorset brewery. that makes good. It makes good beer.
1: I yeah. yeah. Okay. I would not, I could not, would not at the Badger. I will not, will not make you gladder. I will not drink them in a bar, not in the States, not in the UK, not in it, whatever you say. I do not like them in a pub. I do not like them with my grub. I will not drink that hoppy brew. I do not like them, whate'er say you. I do not like them, hoppy or not. I do not like them no matter what. I do not like those IPAs. I do not like them, Ed, I say.
0: Okay. All right. Okay. How, how
1: many submissions did you get? I mean, you did you winnow this down? or I've I winnowed this down. I got a lot of submissions. These wow. are the top five. <laughs> okay, wow. Yeah. Okay. People, you know, people, no, heard you okay. lose your mind about something, Jamie? Well, I mean, I, in game. they wanted to poke the bear. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Uh, so this one. our pod is cast. We've had our say. Would you like an IPA? <laughs> I would not like an IPA. I will not drink one, Ed. Okay. You will like it. Have a drink. It's not as hoppy as you think. I do not want it, do you hear? I will not drink your hoppy beer. I do not want an IPA. Please take that beer and go away. You should give a beer its due. Try this one from Badger Brew. I will not try a Badger Brew. My protestations I renew. No thank you. No sir. No how. No way. I will not drink your IPA. Try Golden Glory and you'll see. You'll find that one. You'll find that you agree with me. No Golden (laughs) Glory Badger beer. I do not want it. Do you hear? I ask you now with nerves afray. Please spare me from your IPA. Well, that that had a good good punch for the ending. That was uh, pretty good and so okay this one is the final one i do not like ipas i do not like them any day jd flynn is my name and this wrong thought is ever the same i do not like ipas i do not like them any day while ed may chatter all day long i will stand my ground however wrong (laughs) will you drink it here or there i will not drink it here or there I will not drink it anywhere. I do not like IPAs. I do not like them any day. Will you drink it in the East Coast style? I will not drink it in the East Coast style, nor West Coast, nor lactose, nor the British Isles.
0: This one is I near not,
1: biblical. I know. I will not drink them here or there. I will not drink them anywhere. J.D. Flynn is my name, and this wrong thought is ever the same. Would you drink them in a bar? Just <laughs> please don't drink it in a car. I will going. not drink it in a bar or... Why would I drink it in a it car? I will not on. drink an East Coast style, nor West Coast, nor lactose, nor from the British Isle. I will not drink them here or there. I will not drink them anywhere. I do not like IPAs. I do not like them any day. Oh, that would was you, some... could you? <laughs> With some oh, fruit. I will not drink them with any fruit, though you continue to sound and toot. I will not drink it in a bar. Why would I drink it in a car? I will not drink an East Coast style. Why must you continue with your guile? I will not drink (laughs) it here or there. I will not drink it anywhere. I do not like IPAs. I will not like them any day. Well, Ed may chatter all day long. I stand my ground, however wrong. You do not like them, so you say. But try it, and you may change your way. Ed, if this will end your constant chatter, I will try it. And not like it, no matter. Say, I do like oh IPAs. Gosh. I like them very much this well, day. Wow, I did not see that coming. I will drink them coming. here and there. I will drink them anywhere. I will drink them with some fruit and will proudly sound and toot. I will drink it in a bar. I still won't drink it in a car. I will drink an <laughs> East Coast style and West Coast and lactose and from the British Isles. I will drink them here and there. I will drink them everywhere. J.D. Flynn is my name and my wrong thought is not the same. Will Ed may chatter all day long, I can cede my ground. He's always right.
0: Oh no! My I mean that was that gets points, I suppose, for being long. That's is that is that a okay? So I here here Ed. Let me just uh, find a response for you if I can. Uh, okay, uh, here's my response. And then I'll give the winner. I do not like them. Not a fan. Not here at home nor in England. Not from the Badger Brewery of Brexton, No way, no how. Out of the question. Just way too hoppy are those suds. Let's just drink stouts until we're buzzed. But if you ask, nice Ed, as you do. I'll endure an IPA with you. And as long as we've got this sixer, well, let's drink the rest and then on to liquor. I liked that. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, that was that was very nice and conciliatory.
0: Yeah, indeed. I wanted to you know, I I thought that you were going to come with an apology, and so I wanted to come with a little bit of a conciliation myself. Uh, You didn't come with an apology, but those were really great readers. Thank you. I mean, I I truly am flattered. I I I don't know what to say. I'm very flattered that people would take time out of their lives to write poems about about my preferences. Yeah, I mean, thank you. Epic poems. So yeah, so I'm very. I mean, I'm very very flattered. I I, I'm. Thank you. I guess they're all winners in a certain way, and in another way, only one is the winner. Uh, I really liked um, so, and maybe you'll say who I think won first place, and then you'll say who tied for second, which is the names of all the rest. Because I think everybody who read it should get their name announced. But I, if I had to give a first place, which I do, I would give first place to the second poem, and then uh, and then the rest can you know still all very good, and okay. I'm very grateful. The
1: second poem, um, which was "I am JD, I am Ed, Lawyer Ed," uh, this is this was submitted by.
0: Uh, A fellow who identifies himself only as ostensibly Chris. Ostensibly Chris, we're going to send you... If you reach out to me and Ed, we're going to send you a Pillar Catholic um, shirt. Yeah, we're going to send you a shirt. We we got some swag, everybody. And ostensibly Chris, we're going to send you a Pillar Catholic shirt. And everybody else, all you second-placers, we're going to send you a Pillar Catholic sticker. So if you reach out to Ed, we're going to send you a sticker. Um, uh, But say the names of the rest.
1: Okay.
0: Um, The first submission was
1: from Philip Jones. Uh, the, our our third submission was Mary Newman. Our fourth submission was Josh McDonald. And the fifth almost bail yeah, yeah, that's right. Epic.
0: The Odyssey of JD and the IPA. Was our good friend Josh Mansfield. Well, oh, there it is. Well, well done, Josh and all. And uh, yeah, if you reach out to Ed, he will send you a sticker. And, I love uh, it how you've just decided that I have stickers to give. We we'll have, we it. have, we have. We can put it out there. We're get, we're, we're testing. We're in, we're in the test phase of our swag distribution process. And these guys are gonna be, uh, are gonna be among those who are tested. Uh, and. Uh, um, so reach out to Ed and you'll get your thing and thank you I really am very flattered and uh, I'm not going to I'm not really going to drink an IPA but it was very nice and Ed I'm very glad to have conciliation with you and um, it, it, I suppose if I see you during Lent I'll drink one as a little bit of a Lent and penance but Ed I uh, rest assured I'm praying for you and your family and to your listeners. It really means a lot. I mean, it means a lot to know as that says that this podcast is a community and that you would do that. Be assured of our prayers for all of you. And, um, thank you for uh, listening and for subscribing to the pillar and letting us do the stuff that we do for a living, which we do because you subscribe to our, our stuff. So, um, Uh, The Pillar Podcast is brought to you by Pillar Media, LLC, a JD and Ed production. I'm your host and uh, Pillar Editor-in-Chief, JD Flynn. And my um, podcasting partner and poetic curator, I don't have a P word for curator. My podcasting partner and poetic publisher is uh, the Pillar's editor and co-founder, Ed Condon. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.